This is Channel 253. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Jenny. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, empowering an informed electorate. I thought we were informing an empowered electorate. In in the the city city of destiny. Citizen Tacoma. Hi, Doug. Hi, Jenny. On today's podcast, we had Mari Levitt, who's running for state representative in the 28th District, Position 1. That's right. She was a font of knowledge. She was, and a longtime Tacoma resident who really knows her stuff. So listen in. She nerds out. Welcome to Citizen Tacoma, Mari. Thank you. It's nice to be here. We're so happy to have you. Well, we start all of these podcasts with uh, learning about your Tacoma story. So when did you move here? Where do you live? Sure. So like many, I first came to Pierce County as a child in a military family. We lived Mm. several places, then came to Fort Lewis, where my dad was stationed, and settled into South Tacoma in a multicultural, low-income community. I went to Stewart Junior High, and I'm a proud Lincoln High School (laughs) Abe. I'm a proud graduate and product of the Tacoma Public Schools. Nice, yeah. nice. And where yeah. do you live now? Now we live in University Place. I also mm. lived in Fircrest for, I don't know, a very long time. I want to say 17, 18 years. Mm-hmm. And then uh, moved about four miles down the road to University Place. And nice. so have lived in our district in the 28th Legislative District, which is where I'm hoping to represent mm-hmm. um, for approximately 28 years. Awesome. Well, speaking of that, um, I was doing some research in advance of this, and um, as I was just explaining to you, I kind of got started doing all of this right after the 2016 election to try to get people more interested and excited about politics, and I wasn't aware that you had already run in 2016. Yes. So this is a rematch. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So I had just come off of a run from the um, University Place had a parks commission on the ballots. And Mm. in order to have a parks commission, you needed parks commissioners and it needed to be simultaneous. So I just won that election to a parks commission that never formed. Mm. Um, And out of that came an invitation to run for state house in 16. Same position, um, same incumbent that Mm -hmm. I'm running against um, Mm. and ran. And we jumped in middle of May. I think the first dollar asked was end of May, first door knocked, middle to late June. Mm. And um, really ran hard, had a good team, and came within four points. It was 4.1, a little over four points. Hmm. Um, I guess someone who had been in office, some form of office for about 20 years at that time, not necessarily in that position, but in some form of office. And so I lost by 4.1 and I really thought about, um, does it make sense to run again? What's unique or different Mm -hmm. um, about 2018 and determined that the issues are just more accelerated and more acute Mm. Um, in 2018 than they were in 16. And so jumped back in, but this time started significantly earlier, filed in January, have a wonderful 
full-time campaign manager who started in, on March 1st um, mm-hmm. named Chelsea Talbert and just have a really strong team. I think the other difference between 16 and 18 is we didn't we don't have a Senate race. So there was a pretty high-profile Senate race in 16 mm-hmm. in the 20th Legislative District, and this time we don't. So the the opportunities for volunteers um, is, was, is different this time. And so really hitting those doors early and the volunteer base, folks are way more engaged and energized, I think, for a host of reasons in 2018 than they were in 16. Hmm. So this is not your first time running then, obviously, but um, we like to encourage as much as we can people to get involved. So Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about what made you decide to run for office? Sure. Yeah, I'm running um, for a host of reasons. As former deputy director of Pierce County Human Services, I had opportunities to serve the most vulnerable um, among us. And and issues of affordable housing, uh, behavioral health, uh, veterans issues. My dad's an aging. I mentioned I come from a military family, which is how we ended up here. And and uh, my dad is an, is an he doesn't like to admit this, but he's an aging veteran. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm focusing on those issues. The other thing is um, foster care. Children and foster care families um, is an important issue, I think, across the states um, because folks who – youth who are homeless are more likely to have been in the foster care system. And my husband and I adopted two foster care children um, a few years ago, and mm-hmm. so those that issue certainly is near and dear to my heart. So, the, again, the issues have accelerated and, and um, are more prevalent than they were, and that kind of helped me leap in and recognize that there's work to be done that I don't think is being done in our district. Mm-hmm. I admire the brass uterus that it takes to get Indeed. in there and do it. So Indeed. Yeah. thank you. Thank you for yeah. stepping up. Um, can you tell us a bit about the 28th district, both geographically and who are its people? Sure. So the 28th legislative district uh, is includes parts of Tacoma. Mm-hmm. Um, it also includes part of Lakewood, uh, Spanaway, uh, DuPont, Stillicum, Anderson Islands, Fircrest, University Place, it's, uh, parts of Roy. Um, mm-hmm. Many people don't realize it. It, <laughs> it. it goes out quite a bit. Our landmarks in the 28th Legislative District are Western State and JBLM. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a diverse community, and I don't think uh, folks realize that. Um, there are high-income folks who live ac- along the waterways, um, mm-hmm. and they're really impoverished um, struggling families and individuals um, on the inside, um, whether it's Tillicum or parts of Lakewood, parts of Tacoma. And so, you know, our, our, our district is diverse. So we think it's the most beautiful in the state. Um, mm-hmm. It's certainly uh, we have several um, colleges, you know, or we have um, several school districts rather in our in our district, um, mm. and you know, it's a mix of um, folks who are blue collar and, and, apprentic- and, and apprenticeship programs um, to small business owners, and I'm a small business owner myself, and and to um, you know, folks who are military and transient that are in and are out based on where they're stationed. So we have a good, good, healthy mix in our district. Wow, that's yeah. a lot of different types of constituents. We that really we do need to serve. Yeah. Can you speak a bit about how your previous lived experiences and work experience and all the diverse areas that you've been working in, how that prepares? First, tell us about them, but then how they prepare you for uh, your position. Sure. Uh, that's a big question. <laughs> it's a lot well, there. It, there. There. Yeah, it is a lot. So I, I would say... Um, 
My diverse experiences. I've I've had the good fortune if for anyone who's listening who um, comes from a military family who has been able to travel, um, has had the ex- the opportunity to live in uh, multicultural and diverse communities, mm-hmm. um, and I think that. A lived experience in um, with folks from all across different areas. Um, mm-hmm. um, I think your perspective—you have a, a different kind of global perspective than you might living in a homogenous, one area kind of way—and I think that breeds an understanding and an empathy for um, diverse communities. Mm-hmm. And by community, um, it could be. Um, um, it could be a socioeconomic status differential, um, or it could be, um, you know, ethnic diversity, gender diversity, orientation. And so I just think you give it a global perspective. Um, folks that I've known who have traveled um, or who have lived in different places where you need to adapt and, and learn about those areas, um, I think that that helps you um, have an empathy of, of wanting to serve, but then also understanding folks from where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I have served as a longtime college administrator in the community technical college system, mm-hmm. and so I've been able to serve um, those Youth coming right out of high school, you know, trying to figure out what it is they want to do, but then also uh, workers who were laid off um, or single moms who are finding themselves needing to be back in the workplace um, when they never thought that they would ever enter the workplace Mm. Um, and watching folks really struggle to to identify what it is they want to do, but then also how are they going to get there um, and also raise a family at the same time for those who are coming back. And so I think all of those added as a small business owner. I certainly understand there. Are, I mentioned there are a lot of small businesses in our district, and small business owners um, really need to be supported. Um, they scrap, um, they they struggle, um, they have to work hard for for the clients and the and um, the things that they're trying to achieve. And and I think having that support in our communities for small business owners to start and grow, and to encourage minority owned businesses um, mm-hmm. to be tapped into as well as women owned businesses, I think is an important part of that. And as a small business owner, I think I have that experience and understanding of that. And I would say working in um, as a human services leader, Mm-hmm. Um, again, for the most vulnerable, we served um, aging and long-term care. We served veterans. We served developmental disabilities from birth to three, but then also from um, school to work in terms of transition and, and adults looking for opportunities um, to be employed and to, to serve their communities like anybody else um, and are certainly able and to do that. Um, in addition to those who just needed a little bit of um, utilities in order to get over the hump um, mm-hmm. and those who were homeless or in violence prevention of youth. And so it was a diverse array, but it really helped you understand the tremendous need in our community um, and the tremendous sense of partnerships that we need to have in order to, to help folks, but then also um, have them help themselves. Hmm. Can you talk a bit about how um, we could make it more friendly for small businesses in 28th District and Pierce County. In sure, general. I think small businesses um, are the backbone of our economy. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and they're they're where jobs are created, um, and most likely um, for local folks to be able to get jobs. And so, University of Washington has a great incubator program, um, mm-hmm. and it's more serves more tech kind of entrepreneurs. Uh, but I think having more incubator programs um, mm-hmm. um, and supporting those to start and grow and infusing those dollars. I think reaching out to I mentioned minority owned and women owned businesses um, and encouraging. Grant opportunities um, to 
um, folks of color as as well as women who um, don't have access to the same financial opportunities or the same financial resources mm-hmm. um, that others might have and, and really making those grant opportunities and access um, um, to those dollars um, in a way that, that's helpful and, and that achieves what they're hoping to and then expands in the health of our community um, is another way to do that. Mm-hmm. So working in... Uh community colleges as well as the human services department you mm-hmm. have a bit of experience working with bureaucracy and large bureaucracies yes. and um, yes how will that be applied in your next position well I certainly have an understanding um, where efficiencies can be realized which is such an odd <laughs> way of saying that um, there's there, we can always do better there's yeah. always room for improvement and mm-hmm. and I think any organization who thinks that they've achieved um, success and and are become complacent um, is where they fall fall short and I think mm-hmm. government and institutions um, who are heavily bureaucratic um, kind of fall into that trap as well and so I think um, when you look at contracting and when you look at staffing levels, um, and when you look at at ways to sunset programs that no longer serve the purpose and being willing to make those decisions. I think oftentimes in large bureaucracies, people forget about things that started maybe 20 years ago that it was a great idea, and then you forget it. You don't, you know, pay attention to them any longer, or, or um, except when staff and staff are always who are closest to it are the best ones who have the best ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, empowering staff, I think, um, to to make suggestions and and find those areas of improvement um, and to make those um, changes on their own um, Mm -hmm. is the best way to kind of eliminate bureaucracy and and make changes that are impactful to those that you want to serve. And as a government, you know, institutions particularly, you have an obligation to serve in the best way you can. And the way to do that is to listen to those who work there. Mm -hmm. uh, You you mentioned, you characterized uh, the issues as more acute which I think is a good word. Um, one thing that's more acute is homelessness in in Tacoma. Um, the Merkel and the Tiki are high profile and certainly happening elsewhere. How, how could you affect change as a legislator? Sure. Um, well, several. One is to infuse dollars into the housing trust fund um, and um, apply the housing trust fund to a variety of different projects that, that can have a... a an impact um, in a in a quicker manner, I think increasing opportunities for the housing and essential. So it's the HEN funds, housing essential needs fund is another way. Um, partnering um, for public private um, opportunities in terms of funding structures so that there are uh, multi-use kind of housing available. You know, affordable housing. I'd heard, and this was back in 2016, that someone needed to make about $22.50 an hour in order to find a place to live for themselves and their family that is decent. And I'm not talking about a nice, you know, area um, that has the luxury and a, and a comfort. We're talking about a safe place um, for someone to live. Um, and so, you know, making sure that living wages um, are on par of where they need to be certainly is part of that. The other thing I've heard um, is that our VASH vouchers, which serve our veterans, um, haven't increased in more than 15 years. And so there, I think they were 3,500 or so, and don't quote me on the exact number, 15 years ago, and now maybe they're 36, 3,700. And so increasing those opportunities for those VASH vouchers for our veterans is also 
another way. And then, you know, I think affordable house, issues of affordable housing uh, and homelessness are on a spectrum. And you often hear about the chronic homeless, you know, which is a small population, but having a continuum um, that allows for partnerships with uh, entities like Habitat for Humanity as well um, as ensuring that we have um, more, you know, multi-use facilities um, and infuse those housing trust dollars um, and hand dollars into it um, are important. And and supporting the the great work. I think Pierce County has a good coordinated system and folks work together and, and our county's uh, affordable housing and homeless um, units um, or program um, rather is really strong in terms of being innovative and continuing to support to support those efforts. And then finally, as a legislator, I think you need to have a really good relationship with your congressional delegation uh, because congressional delegations are the ones who can um, impact HUD dollars and CDBG grants or community development block grant programs um, and uh, making sure that you have that relationship so that when those HUD dollars and CDBG opportunities um, come open, that you're competitive, but then also that you're protecting those dollars at a federal level because you know we need those federal dollars and in addition to um, local dollars in order to sustain and make an impact into, into issues of homelessness. Wow, great. Thank you. Your campaign statement reads that you will fight for more mental health addiction and mental health and addiction assistance. Can you talk a bit about how these issues are affecting your district. Yeah, well, Western State is part of yeah. our district. You know, I mentioned earlier, so you know that's that's the big kind of um, behemoth of our area, and, and Western State um, lost uh, their federal funding, um, mm-hmm. they, and um, which is in the tune of fifty three million dollars. And so the state taxpayers um, are going to pick up that tab because you can't shut down Western State. Um, because they, they've no longer received those um, compliance CMS federal federal dollars. And so certainly from a Western state perspective, um, we'll need to in, in ensure that they you know get have the level of funding that they do, uh, but then also that there's enough funding to ensure that our workers are safe. You know, public safety is a huge issue for the communities around Western state and a, and a monumental concern, as is the safety of workers. I just had the opportunity to meet with Western state staff a couple days ago, and um, they were talking about the importance of um, having adequate staffing levels so that when a code comes, whatever that code is, they run into danger. They're, you know, in essence, first responders um, on the inside, mm-hmm. if you will, and and making sure that they um, have opportunities for respite, for training um, to be to be safe for themselves and for those that they're trying to serve is one. I think the other thing is um, we have a really fragmented behavioral health system and ensuring that there's better coordination across the spectrum, um, ensuring that we recognize that um, cord- there's, a, there's a sense of coordinated care that's holistic, um, whether it's from ensuring that there's prevention dollars um, available um, on a primary end, um, but then also that we have um, the coordinated service in the county and um, to be able to serve those um, who need that service. So there are quite a few things, but they certainly intersect and a, a lot of folks are co-occurring. And, and it takes a lot of um, partnerships within our county um, and with the state in order to make that happen. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Thank you. This is Nate Bowling, host of the Nerd Farmer podcast on the Channel 253 Network. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. Alaska is our hometown airline. They remember the TAC and SeaTac, if you know what I mean. Just the other day, I saw Alaska running an ad in a local magazine 
with the tagline, fly like the mountain is out. If Alaska Airlines can be South Sound proud, we can be too, and choose our local airline. I know of people who work at Alaska, I bet you do too. Sometimes I see them when I fly, and sometimes I see them out and about enjoying life in the 253. And what's awesome is Alaska is the best airline around. Local and the best way to fly, that's an easy choice to make. I'm Nate Bowling, Alaska Airlines MVP Gold, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. All right, we're back. Uh, you spoke a bit about the role of education investment in your campaign statement. Um, how do you see us moving forward from the mess of McCleary and hopefully keeping another strike from happening? Sure. Yeah. And when I talk about education, I'll, I'll answer that specific question in a minute. But when I talk about education, I'm talking about early learning through expansion of career and technical education. And so um, I, our, we know that our children are our most important resource. And the best bang for your buck in terms of tax dollar investment is in early learning programs. And we don't have adequate and quality access to early learning programs across the state um, in all zip codes. And I think that that's um, one of the most important things that we can do. Um, having mm-hmm. said that, you're asking about you know, K through 12. So then we'll jump yeah. to K through 12. But before you yeah. go there, yeah. um, the having adequate early learning programs does not just help the children. It helps the families who need the child care to be able to advance in society as well. And mm-hmm. that's a part of that equation that I don't think gets enough spotlight, I guess, you know, I mean, at even being a privileged person, you know, mm-hmm. childcare is really a struggle for us mm-hmm. all the time. And mm-hmm. that the idea of a state preschool program would just have been life changing to us. It is. It's life changing um, for families. In particular, um, when we talk about the achievement gap, um, mm-hmm. and, and um, there are some who don't see that the achievement gap is real, but the achievement gap, you know, continues to to widen. Mm -hmm. Um, And the best way to narrow that achievement gap is through quality early learning programs. And we find that when there aren't public early learning programs available, parents are who don't have access to childcare or who's a single mom or a single dad who are doing the best that they can and they need to go to work and their child is a summer birthday or Mm -hmm. they're not quite ready they start them full time in school because they can't afford childcare, and that kid is it doesn't succeed. And we know that if we don't catch children in that K through second grade area, and that's where the achievement gap wide starts to widen, then it's really hard as they get older to make that up. And so, um, and parents do that because they don't have that access, and we don't have that. And I was listening to a school board. I was at a school board meeting um, this past spring, and um, the school board. Um, had an administrator who was reporting out on the on the achievement gap, and and really the conversation started to move towards well, parents need to be more involved, and parents need to, you know, engage more. And um, and I thought, wow, how short sighted these um, privileged school board members are to not mm-hmm. understand that it's not, you know, maybe if you had a really strong early learning program that families could could tap mm-hmm. into, that certainly would make a difference um, so that they're not tipping over. And so I agree. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah um, it, we're all better off when we have strong early learning programs. K through 12, so McCleary, um, you know, the, the McCleary issue was solved with, you know, infusing $2 billion um, in, into education. And um, and that was an important step. And I, and I can, you know, would say that 
while we're done with McCleary in terms of the obligation is met, we're not done in terms, you know, we can call it a McCleary Mm -hmm. 2.0, and that's with um, special education. And so we need to continue to um, identify ways to support special education programs across the state. And I think, you know, with um, being in in Tacoma and as, you know, the Tacoma um, school district, you know, kind of went upside down. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can't blame the legislature for infusing $2 billion into a system. And you can't blame teachers who are really wanting to have a living wage and that's at market value. Um, Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you can't blame the um, school officials or school administrators who are trying their best to have a sustainable budget. And so, you know, sometimes it's not about um, blaming one entity. It's, it's about recognizing that, the, the system was attempted to be fixed, but it's natural after 40 years of one particular system that there are going to be bubbles when the fix happens. And so going mm-hmm. back, this next section of taking a look at levy opportunities um, and moving counselors and nurses over to the state as a responsibility would give school districts more flexibility because school districts need local school districts and different have different needs in different geographic areas. And so mm-hmm. you want to provide that level of flexibility um, through levies and through bonds to be able um, to provide those opportunities to children. And you want to make sure that um, there's some kind of sustainability for folks who are in low poverty or you know poverty stricken areas as well as rural areas that those children have the same opportunities as um, students in, you know, University Place or Mercer Island or other areas. And I'm not equating University Place to Mercer Island for any listeners. I'm not <laughs> saying that. But I'm just saying that there there needs to be um, a level playing field for all children across the state. And so there is more work that needs to happen um, in order to ensure that um, school districts like Tacoma and others um, have a little bit more of a right side adjustment in order to make sure that, um, the, you know, what happened this time, which was a natural bubble that was bound to happen mm-hmm. um, and I you know I think there were signs that that probably was going to occur um, doesn't happen in the future hmm. um, I was noticing that uh, both you and your opponent have spoken of car tabs and I've been you know out to the grocery store and people want me to sign something trying to lower my lower my car tabs and um, I'm concerned about st3 and you you mentioned that you'd like to do something about car tab uh, and so is your uh, opponent. So what can you do that doesn't endanger ST3? I'll answer that, but then I want to go back because I didn't talk about career and technical education, and I want to emphasize oh, okay, that okay. At, at some point. So sure. let me answer your specific question first. Okay. Um, well, we have certainly, you know, um, Pierce County um, residents did not um, vote for ST3, um, you know, over, overwhelmingly um um, didn't pass um, in this area. And um, we hear concerns at the doors um, in the 20th legislative district in particular, because that's where I spend my time at the doors. <laughs> that's where I'll speak um, for both um, the my future seatmate, Christine Kildoff, um, who is a great representative that we're fortunate to have. Um, and we hear concerns about um, property, the cost of property taxes going up, um, and car tab certainly um, is part of that conversation. And so, in this past session, there was a, a bill that would have reduced property taxes, um, not to the level I think that there was a proposal to go just a minimum thirty dollars and strip that away, um, but it reduced it. Um, 
in amounts, um, and it could have happened, you know, during in for 2019, and that didn't. I don't recall if it didn't get the vote or it didn't pass. Um, it was one of one of the two, and so I think there um, will be efforts um, that certainly I would support as well to reduce um, those those tabs um, to a level um, that. I wouldn't say that works for everyone because I think for for some, they don't want to have any tabs at all. <laughs> so you're never going to get to a no-tab system, but certainly reduce the level of tabs so that it's not hitting um, the most vulnerable um, in our population and, and um, having an impact for families and individuals who are struggling already. And so where that um, disparate level is that that keep sound transit in business is what you're asking. Um, I'm not sure where where that level is, but um, I do believe that we need to identify ways to reduce those car tabs um, in order to make you know families sustainable. Well, yeah, I mean to keep them in business and to keep the light rail plans on track, right. if you will. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, one other thing I will say, um, I think part of the, the challenge um, as well for Pierce County voters um, on sound transit is that the projects um, won't come to fruition for decades. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really hard when people are struggling um, paycheck to paycheck to make ends meet or they're being priced out of their home where they've been renting for 15, 17 years and have no place to go. And and the homeowner is, is looking at the market like, geez, I can get a lot more rent from someone else and, and bounce them out, um, it's hard for people to swallow having to pay for a fee for a project that they don't think they're ever going to see in their lifetime. And so I think that's certainly an understandable understandable issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Community college and technical education. Yeah. So, you know, for there was a time where um, CTE or community technical education, um, used to be called vocational education, um, was mixed in with um, transfer and baccalaureate kind of or pathway programs in our school districts. And we've moved away from that. And not all, having worked in a community and technical college arena for many years, um, not all families and not all individuals are destined for baccalaureate pathways, and nor should they be, nor do we want folks to be. And so um, we need to go back to opportunities that have pathways for all skill levels and interests. And and um, school district boards, I, I was poo-pooing a little bit one particular board on the achievement gap issue. But I will say that school board members more and more are interested in policies that um, provide incentive for superintendents and school district administrators to show and be accountable for infusing CTE offerings across school districts across the state. And I think that that's a benefit to our communities um, and certainly to labor um, and industry as they're looking for skilled labor and and really struggling to find that as as we have an aging you know work population. And so whether it's in the career and technical education opportunities at the CTC level um, of expanding programs that meet industry needs um, and offering those and or whether it's in school districts to provide students opportunities to gain new skills um, and learn skills to to be successful and and um, sustain themselves you know for the future I think is important. Your opponent has held office for 20 plus years. Um, what have you learned from looking at his tenure, and what do you see room for improvement? Well, I think we um, 
I won't speak to to my opponent um, perspective um, as much as here's what I think we need in the 28th. Great. Um, and I and I think um, we need to um, ensure that we're focusing more. Um, and, and funding is part of that, but also um, having a, an emphasis on um, behavioral health mm-hmm. um, in our in the 28th legislative district across the continuum. I think it's important that um, you asked questions about affordable housing and, and homelessness, and that we, um, because uh, you know issues of affordability across the spectrum, whether it's um, seniors being able to stay in their homes or, or veterans having the transition services that they need to. Um, to move into civilian life or our teachers needing to be supported in the way that they can be and need to be in order to to teach our children or foster families needing um, respite. Um, and, be- and many foster families um, who have done yeoman's work for a long time are bouncing out of the foster care system because they don't have the, the support services that they need when they need a break. Um, you know, we were a foster family to our um, um, to our children that we adopted and um, we couldn't get respite if we needed to and unfortunately we had a support system but there are many foster families out there um, who don't and they need those breaks and, and social workers need to be supported as well and um, and increase the amount of social workers so that they don't burn out so quickly and so I think all of these issues are important issues to address, and, I, and, and certainly um, early learning I mentioned earlier is, is, is one of those as well. So there are a lot of issues in the 28th, um, and I think across the states um, that we need to continue to work on and, and um, to continue to fight for. You've spent, as we've discussed, a bit of your career working in higher education and have worked to make college campuses more equitable and safe, including advocating on behalf of victims of sexual assault. Um, How do you interpret current events through the lens of those experiences? Sure. Um, Well, Title IX, um, you know, is is the college level Federal law that you know certainly well it impacts all education across the, across the spectrum, and I think um, Title IX you know used to be associated with athletics and making sure that there was gender equity in in sports, um, and it's expanded. And I think that um, the the law necessarily hasn't expanded, but the understanding of, of Title IX has expanded. Um, and I think that um, you know we um, have a large um, a growing population of transgender students um, that um, you know really. Um, are treated in in some horrific kinds of ways on on, on campuses um, and across the across the spectrum and and making sure that our transgender students um, are served and have the opportunities for education um, that they deserve and and um, are treated in the way that they deserve um, across that way. I think um, you know the other thing about Title IX is pregnancy and parenting. You know many don't realize that um, you know parents or, or um, students who are pregnant. Um, need the same kind of opportunities that others in terms of accommodations to, um, to do that. I think um, those who um, are in domestic violence or intimate partner violence um, situations um, are those it, those reporting reports are increasing. Whether the incidents are increasing, where you know you can never know, but certainly um, domestic violence and intimate partner violence, in particular, um, and dating violence. Um, reports are are on the rise and making sure that we have adequate support services um, and confidential support services both across college campuses, but then also in particular in um, the communities in which they reside. Um, You know, um, 
Pierce County, the Crystal Judson Center um, is a wonderful resource, um, as is the YWCA um, for for women and and men who find themselves, you know, going through difficult situations. And so, um, I think that um, we having those adequate source resources, having confidential resources um, available um, at all times and all places, is critical in this time and age. Mm-hmm. My next question is a bit about um, legislating ideology. I have a quote from your website here that's, I can't believe in 2018 we are debating whether employers should cover contraception for women in the workforce. Mm -hmm. These terrible policies would harm women and families across the region and the nation, yet some politicians would impose their narrow ideology on the majority of our workforce and population. Um, you've also expressed that mm-hmm. we don't want to be engaging in partisan bickering, but I wonder if you could speak a little bit about the concept of legislating ideo- ideology. That's that's intriguing. Um, yeah, I certainly would have voted um, for the Reproductive Parity Act had I been in office. Um, and I, I think um, in this day and age, the fact that we're talking about um, women's contra- contraception and, and having to pay higher prices um, or having it not covered um it just is is unfathomable to me um and yet we still have to fight um, and ensure um that that issue um remains and there are some things i think that should be foundational um and if you go to you know maslow's you know hierarchy of needs um that to me that's a basic food water kind of issue mm-hmm. um and so it shouldn't be an ideological kind of um um, matter um, and it continues to be and so is the question how do you rise above that um, as a legislator of, of ideology over um, over issues and and I think you the way I hope the way that um, I plan to do it and and that I've seen others be successful who are legislators who do that um, one is um, identifying the shared values um, and so um, what are the issues that are important and how are folks being impacted by those issues and how do we work together to solve those? Um, and it shouldn't be about um, party. It should be about people. And I think making kind of keeping people first, you know, in, in um, the college atmosphere and in settings we talk about, you know, think students first um, and, mm-hmm. then, and then have every decision based on that in terms of, of – um, Making sure that folks are successful, and I think um, as a legislator, making sure that what are what do our residents need, and and what are the greatest needs, and and where can we have the greatest impact, and working on our shared values to to do that, and and not make decisions based on party and what's best for the party, um, and make decisions on what's best of how to help residents in your district. Hmm. What should I have asked you? What did you come prepared to talk about that fires you up that I didn't touch upon? You know, so I I was um, had an opportunity to attend the Washington Conservation Voters um, um, Awards breakfast this morning, and Van Jones was the guest speaker. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kind of get inspired, right, when you hear different people. Um, And Van Jones was our was the guest speaker. and he talked, and, I'll, and I wrote it down. In fact, I sent a, a text to my husband because I couldn't get in notes fast enough on my phone um, because he talked about, um, you know, folks get disillusioned on either, from either party um, mm-hmm. when they hear or see things. They get disillusioned over 
over matters. And then they kind of wake up and they grab their phone really quickly. And then they, they read all the awful stuff, regardless of what side of the spectrum you're on. And then they go throughout their day kind of angry and mad. And then they go to bed and then they wake up and they do it again. But they don't do anything else. And he he said, um, you know, he said, if you're, he goes, really, you need to be looking at at things of, um, our, I'm tired of you being broke. I'm tired of your kid having asthma. I'm tired of your kid graduating from college with more debt than it costs for your home. I'm tired of your kid not having the same opportunity and that you really need to be um, looking at it from that lens. Um, and if you're tired of those things, then what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, instead of grabbing your phone and just kind of, you know, chastising or tweeting about how awful, you know, the world is or how awful someone or, or an issue is, um, being tired enough to, to act is the most important thing. And so, um, for me, that you know, it kind of reminded me of these are all of the issues that impacts all of us, mm-hmm. um, and um, that we need to get out there and do some work on it. Um, whether it's serving at a homeless, you know, shelter, um, or doing your part in your neighborhood watch group, um, or mm-hmm. whatever it is, that we all have a responsibility to do something. And and I think he kind of reminded me of that. You know, it was certainly him in the midst of it. But yeah. um, how how we frame those things and that. Um, be grateful for the little wins along the way when you're impacting somebody. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the best parts of the 28th District, parks, restaurants. What What do you like the best? Ooh. Um, well, certainly our waterways. You know, we have beautiful Chambers Bay. Is mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if those of you who haven't been to Chambers Bay, it's a jewel. Um, Anderson Island, we have, you know, beautiful islands where you can take a ferry from Stillicum and go throughout there. Um, We have several different parks in different parts of of the area. Um, We have great schools. We really have good quality school districts. Um, that we're grateful for. Um, we have, you know, wonderful JBLM is, is something to be, you know, people um, may not know this, but Pierce County and, and Fort Lewis, or Fort Lewis, that dates me in terms of when I lived as a kid yeah. at Fort Lewis as my dad. But but JBLM, we have, you know, um, kind of the, I think it's the best base, you know, in the area. But it's a destination. People come and are transferred here because they want to retire in our area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something to be really proud of. You know, we talk about all of the challenges of our behavioral health system, but we have some great agencies who are working really hard um, day in and day out um, within the 28th and then within Pierce County who really um, are doing their best every day with very little pay and, and, you know, small budgets to make an impact. And I think those are things to be proud of as well. Mm. Thank you so much for coming on today. Could you bring us on home with why people of the 28th District should vote for you? Yes. Um, I am grateful for the opportunity um, for the listeners. And, and I would say, um, you know, to quote Van Jones, you know, I think um, issues of affordability, across, you know, cut all ways, whether it's serving our seniors or serving our veterans to stay at home or or taking care of, of the, our most important asset and um, focusing on those issues. And, and that's what I expect to do more of. And I expect to put um, people over party and, and I would hope to earn your vote. Thanks Thank so you very much. much. Yeah. 
Thanks so much for listening to Citizen Tacoma Podcast today. We are part of the Channel 253 network where you can also find the Move to Tacoma Podcast as well as the Nerd Farmer Podcast. And the Flounders B-Team, Crossing Division, and Taco Man Podcasts. If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you've heard on the show today or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, maybe there's something you've been wondering about that maybe we can investigate for you, please contact me at jennyjacobs253 at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at Citizen Tacoma. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. And please consider either an annual or monthly membership. This is Channel 253.